Why should I lay on the dungeon floor with moss growing on my eyelids when I have the key to the gate that leads out of this place? Such was the question in John Bunyan's Pilgrim Progress. Christian and others were thinking about this, and here's a quote from a passage from that. Now, a little before it was day, good Christian, as one half amazed, Break out in a passionate speech. What a fool, quoth he, am I to lie in a stinking dungeon when I may as well walk at liberty. I have a key in my bosom called promise that will, I am persuaded, open any lock in doubting castle. Then said hopeful, that's good news, good brother. Pluck it out of thy bosom and try. And so they did, and they got out. Sometimes people and things and events put us in some kind of a dungeon. Sometimes we put ourselves in a dungeon. And we think we don't know how to get out. We think we're trapped. And we wallow around there with moss growing on our eyelids when all the time we've got a key to get out. Pretty good question. Why would we stay in there if we had a way out? Sometimes the dungeons we present ourselves with, we put ourselves in there. And we're content to not have to change. We're, we're easy with the discomfort and with the pain. And we think that's just how it's going to have to be. Sometimes it's doubt. We're not sure God's really there. We're not sure the church even matters. We don't even know if the church is going to survive another five or ten years or something. So we have these doubts. And we live in there and we wallow in there when there's a way out. Sometimes it has to do with lust. The dungeon of lust. And when we're in a constant spiritual battle, when we wrestle with the flesh, it's not easy. And there, there are these lusts that present themselves, the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, the vainglory, the pride of life, and things that come up and seemingly box us in and trap us. Amnon made himself sick looking at his half-sister, Tamar. He wanted her so bad it physically made him ill. And then the suggestion was made, well, here's how you can have her if you want her. And so you know the rest of that story. And after he forced her to lay with him, then he kicked her out of the house and put her to shame. And it was all his fault. But we read an interesting passage in there. The hate wherewith he hated her was greater than the love wherewith he had loved her. Isn't it amazing how things don't turn out the way we had planned? And so he thought he was in charge. He thought he would get what he wanted. And then after he satisfied himself, he realized nothing was, was right. And it was just terrible. We know the story of David and how he lingered behind at the palace when the armies were out to battle. Instead of going out to battle with them, he stayed behind and got into trouble. He got to looking at Bathsheba, lusted after her. You know the rest of the story and how it escalated. After he gave in to that lust and after he committed adultery and then the cover-up and the, the deception and then the murder. And, and it just got worse and worse. Until we read finally in Psalm 51 as he comes to himself and he pleads with God, Against thee and thee only have I sinned. And he, he wants to restore within me a pure heart and restore to me the joy of my salvation as he reframes this and, and comes back to God. Sometimes we get into the dungeon of bitterness. Bitterness. We get hurt. Somebody betrays us. Sometimes even in the church things don't go well and somebody, some other good brother doesn't treat us the way we think we should be treated, or maybe they're just outright wrong, or maybe it's some sinful thing that happened, and we get hurt so bad. Naomi was a person like this, but not because of the church. It was because she lost everything, or the death of her husband, the death of sons-in-laws, and she had, uh, had to leave the famine, made her leave her homeland and go to another land, and when she comes back, people see her coming, approaching the village, and they said, is this Naomi? This can't be Naomi. It doesn't even look like her. And she said, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, which means bitter. And sometimes we get encased, encapsulated, enslaved in a dungeon 
of bitterness. I didn't deserve this. I didn't ask for it. And so we've, we, I didn't want my daddy to die when he did and leave my mother like that. I didn't want my mother to die when she did. I didn't want my child to die. I didn't want these things to happen. I don't know if there's any way out of this. I just don't know if I even love God anymore because things are not the way I had planned them. And I started out on my life doing all these things just right. And I did like Job who prayed for his children every day and had them over for dinner and offered sacrifices and did everything right. And what happens? He loses everything. And in our recent history, just around here, we've seen dozens and hundreds of people who have lost everything through a number of natural means and other things that happen. So here's a woman who says, Call me bitter. I've been through a lot, and I just don't like it. I'm, I'm just, it's worn me down. Don't even, you know, I don't even look like myself because of this bitterness. Sometimes it's hatred that gets a hold of us, and we wallow in that dungeon of hatred, and we can even see their car. There's that van, there's that car, that person that I hate. One time the lying prophets were trying to convince Ahab it was okay to go up to battle against Jehoshaphat, and and so the lying prophets were deceiving him. So yeah, go on up and, and, and fight. You'll win. Zedekiah made the iron horns and said, you'll kill him like, you'll push him like this. And so all the prophets were going along with what they knew the king wanted to hear. And someone suggested, is there not one man, is there not one man, one prophet of the Lord that we can inquire of and see if we're going to, if we need to go up and do this battle or not? And Ahab said, yeah, well, yeah, there's, there's Micaiah ben Imla, but I hate him. Because he never prophesies me any good. So they called him anyway, and Micaiah says, Well, yeah, go on up and fight. You'll be okay. And they knew he was just going along with what the prophets, the lying prophets said. And so the king suspected something was wrong. He said, I want you to tell me, tell it straight. How's it going to be? And he said, You're not going to make it. You're, you're going to lose. But here this idea was, I don't want to talk to him. I hate him. Have you ever felt like that? Surely, surely something in the background is there, even when you were a child or something. Somebody, you can't even stand to see their face. You don't even want to be in the same room with them or the same church with them. And so there's this, this uh, hatred that can come up and become like a prison or, or a dungeon. Maybe it's envy, the principle of upward comparison. Well, I'm doing pretty good, but you know, look at my classmates that I graduated with. Well, that guy right there, he's a brain surgeon, brilliant, man. And look at this guy, he owns half the county now. And this guy's a wealthy realtor or, or businessman, and then there's me. And we feel like we just can't go anywhere and don't, don't belong anywhere, we don't fit, it just doesn't work, so we envy others. Or maybe it's fear that gets around us, or maybe it's something like jealousy, like in the case of Joseph's brothers. Remember, they, they were despising him because of his coat of many colors, and when he had those dreams about how he might rise to power and even his brothers bow down to him, they couldn't stand it, and they finally decided they'd kill him. One of the brothers intervened, don't kill him, don't kill him, so they threw him in a pit, and then they decided later they'd sell him to the Midianites, and he'd ended up down in Egypt. We know that story. But what a pitiful picture, no pun intended. He's in a pit, about 17 years old, it's suggested, crying out loud, begging his brothers to let him out. And he's down in there in the pit, and they're eating their lunch. But as the story unfolds, he gets in more trouble with Potiphar's wife and, and all of that. But finally, he rises to power, second in command of Pharaoh. And as he works his way out of the dungeon of his past and the dungeon of what all had happened to him, he named one of his sons, I'm going to name this boy Manasseh, because that means the Lord has made me forget. That's what the name means, making to forget. So he's made me forget all my toil and my father's house. He has helped me work my way through this with His providential help so that I can see that even though those brothers meant this for harm and for evil, God meant it for good. And so even though I went through all this trauma and all this turmoil and all this trouble in my father's house, 
I can forget some of that. I can put that behind me. I can reframe this, and I can even forgive those brothers who wanted me dead and who thought I was dead and who lied to my father. I, I can deal with this because he had a key. In Lamentations 3, verse 21 to 24, Jeremiah speaks about this. And Jeremiah, by the way, is in one in good company. Jeremiah was thrown down to a cistern, an empty water tank, like a well, we might say, but only dug out and with stones around it. He was thrown down in there. Someone else says, you've done a disservice to this man. You need to get him out. So they went to the king's house, went into a wardrobe, got some dirty rags, threw them down to him and said, put them under your armpits. And he did, and they lifted him out. So he'd been in, literally in the pits, but other times he expressed it like this. I remember my affliction and my wondering, the wormwood and bitterness. Surely my soul remembers and is bowed down within me. Sometimes Satan gets around us and reminds us of everything we've ever done wrong. He reminds us that we're not worth killing, we're not fit to live. He reminds us of everything we don't like, and it just becomes a dark day, and we just suffer through it. It's wormwood and bitterness, and my soul remembers all those things. It's bowed down within me. But then he says, here's, here's one of my keys. I remember something. This I recall to my mind. Therefore, I have hope. And what is that that he has hope about? He says, the Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him, or I have hope in Him. This I recall. Spurgeon said a long time ago in one of his sermons, he said that memory is the handmaid of hope. So there is the past that we want to forget. There is the harmful, the hurtful past, that this bitterness and wormwood that we're just so sorry it ever happened. And every time we relive it, it just makes us so bitter and sad and, and just empty. But then there's the memory of the good times and the memory of how the Lord's compassions never fail and how we have hope in Him. So they are new every morning. What are some of these compassions? And there's a long list. In fact, I had to hold back to keep from listing everything I could think of because there's so many of these things that God does for us. One of the things He does is He offers physical blessings every day. In the Old Testament, God provided for His people with manna every day. Yesterday's manna wouldn't suffice. Today's manna needs to be renewed. And, And Jesus taught, you need to pray every day. Give us this day our daily bread. And so we have physical blessings every day. Some people, we have some in this congregation, some in this audience today, that their day's work, their day's goal is to get out of the bed, get themselves dressed, eat something and get to this building. And then when they make it back home, they're done for the day. That's all they got in them is to do that. And while that's happening, others are laying out saying, I don't have to go, do I? What's the least I can do and still get by? Remember that God gives us today's breath. Yesterday's breath and clean air won't do any good. Yesterday's clean, drinkable water won't do any good. Yesterday's dry ground, we need it again today. Yesterday's heartbeats, we need them again today. And we don't need the strength for tomorrow because we don't even know if tomorrow's coming. Everybody I know who has died had a last Sunday in church. Some of them it was that day, and others it was two or three years later, but everybody eventually has a last Sunday. When is that? We just don't know. Thank God that every day we're able to rise up, take nourishment, and and go about our day's business. Another thing is strength for the day. In Blessing Asher, Moses said, As thy days, so shall thy strength be. 
So God will give us strength for today, and that's about all we can handle. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. We don't have to worry about what might happen tomorrow and fume over what already happened. You know, life, someone has said, is about 10% what happens and 90% our response to it. So today's strength is coming today as God's compassions never fail. Also, opportunities. Paul one time didn't want to leave, but he knew there was a great door of opportunity open for him to proclaim the gospel in another place. And so he had to decide, leave these brethren and go to somewhere else, but this great and effectual door. And every day we live is an opportunity to make some kind of a difference. It may just be in our own family. It may just be to decide, I'm going to start changing things right now. And you talk about a tall order. We can't even comprehend the word change sometimes. To change anything. But I'm going to change. I'm going to do better. I'm going to do right. I'm going to say I'm sorry. Even if it's something I didn't do, I'm sorry. I'm going to, I'm going to turn these things around. There's an opportunity here. Protection. Second Peter 2 and verse 9 and other passages. Paul even recalls how God said that with the temptation he will make a way of escape. But we have to cooperate with God's providence and God's provision and God's protection. So when he offers us a way out, we need to be looking for a way out and not wallow in the dungeon and just stay there, not even looking for the key. A fight broke out on the playground and two boys were kicking and scratching and clawing and one boy bit the other boy's ear and kicked him in the shin. <laughs> the, the teacher called him down and said, Hey, wait. He said, I think the devil's putting ideas in your mind, Johnny. And Johnny said, Well, the, biting him in the ear might have been the devil's idea, but kicking him in the shin was my idea. And so when we're living in the flesh, we've got to be thinking about how to be more spiritual how to avoid these conflicts, how to avoid these sins and, and look for the way of escape. Providence of God, the Lord will provide. And you think about it, it's a, it's a little bit sobering to just think about, here we are today, here, together, and here. That's no small accomplishment. We're still alive, we're still going, we still got plans, we still got things on our mind, we've got business to take care of today, and here we are. And all these years we've lived, we're already here today. So that's a big thing right there. And here it is, half of the year's almost over. We're getting ready for the 4th of July, and I haven't even started June yet. It's like, what's going on around here with the timetable? And so it's amazing that we're able to even be here, but the Lord will provide what we need. God said to Abraham, after all the trouble and turmoil of not having children, being aged parents, finally the child of promise is born. And God says to Abraham, hey, Abraham, i got something I want you to do. I want you to take Isaac, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and take him up to Mount Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering to me. And instead of calling in sick, Abraham got up early the next morning, got everything ready, took some men with him, started the Mount Moriah just like God said. On the way up there, Isaac who we think, if you look at all the genealogies and the timetables and the history there, was probably about something like 20 years old at this time. He wasn't, I always pictured him being a little four-year-old boy for some reason, just the right size to sacrifice. Anyway, he's probably a grown young man. And he's going along and he says, Dad, he said, uh, hey, we got the fire here, we got the wood, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham said, God will provide. And so they go a little further and sure enough, Here's this ram caught in the thicket by its horns. It's not until we get to the book of Hebrews that we're told there that Abraham was thinking something that whole time. He was thinking as a father would think in his heart. If I take the life of this child, God is able to raise him up from the dead. 
So he wasn't too worried, but you can imagine the, the, the trauma in his heart. But he goes up there, and here's this lamb, this ram caught, and so he sacrifices it, but God provided for him. And that's just the way it works. And as we read a moment ago, as Jake read for us in Romans 8 and verse 28, God can take anything that happens and He can work all these things together. It doesn't say that everything that happens to us is good, but that God can take whatever happens and work it out for the good. In fact, when Jesus was praying three times in the garden, If it be thy will, Father, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, thy will, not mine, be done. Again, over in the book of Hebrews, we read that Jesus, with loud crying, was begging God, don't do this. We've got to find some other way. Is there some other way? And God heard his prayer, and he said, no, there's no other way. And when he said no to that, he blessed Jesus, and he blessed us in allowing him to go to the cross. So God provides. And forgiveness. God said, I will take your sins, and I'll separate them as far as the east is from the west. I'll take your sins and I'll throw them out in the depths of the ocean. Can't find them, can't see them. I'll blot your sins out. Not just put an X through them so you can see what they used to be and brood over that and get back in the dungeon because of it, but rather I'll blot them out. And I'll remember them no more and they'll be gone. A prison cell like this, this one is touted to be one of the ones that Paul stayed in. I don't know that anybody's absolutely certain. Peter was in supposedly the same one at some time or another. But it was one like this, like a cistern in the ground, like a big underground room, and then there's a dome like over it or a flat top with a hole in the top to let some light and some air in. But you can't get out, can't dig out, can't claw out, don't know tools, can't climb out. You're just down in a hole, in a pit, in a dungeon. And so Paul is there near the end of his life. He says, I've done me some thinking while I'm in here. I've been looking at my past life and remembering some stuff. I've been processing all this. And so as he talks, he writes to Timothy and he says, I'm already, this is verse uh, uh, 6, beginning of 2 Timothy chapter 4. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure is at hand. It's come. I fought the good fight and I finished my course and I've kept the faith. In the future, underscore that, in the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day and not only to me, but to all them also who have loved his appearing. So he's thinking about, I may get out of here, I may not, but if I do, whatever happens, if I go in death or if I get out of the prison, I'm going to heaven one of these days. But he continues, and he says, Make every effort, Timothy, to come to me soon, for Demas, and notice how he processes all this business, Demas, having loved this present world, has, has deserted me. He's gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he's useful to me in the service. But Tychicus I've sent to Ephesus. And when you come, bring the cloak. This cold old prison, I need something to wrap up in. Bring the cloak, which I left at Troas with Carpus, and the books. But the parchments, especially the parchments, those would be his copy of the Old Testament Scriptures, his Bible. And so he says, I'm cold. I want my cloak. I need some books to read, but I really, really need the Bible. I need the parchment, so be sure and bring those. Alexander the coppersmith, that dude, man, he did me a lot of harm. But the Lord will repay him. Notice how as he reframes all this, he didn't feel any need for vengeance or retaliation. He even warns Timothy, be on your guard against him because he's an enemy of the gospel, an enemy of the preachers and and the message. So watch out for him. But God's going to handle him. I don't have to worry about that. What an awesome thought 
that God's going to work all these things together for good, whether I like it or not. I mean, as long as I cooperate and believe these things are going to work out for the best and be on guard against him. And then he says, at my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. I was all by myself except for God. And notice the forgiving spirit. They all, they all ran for the hills and left me alone. Nobody helped me when I was trying to defend myself and defend the gospel. But I don't hate them for it. I'll forgive them for that. One of the biggest keys to the universe is the human compassion and grace of being able to forgive yourself for what you've done wrong and forgive others for what they've done against you. Tall order, but it is a key that will let you out of that dungeon of hate and bitterness and resentment that things just didn't turn out the way you wanted to at the time you wanted them to. He helped me and he strengthened me so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles might hear and I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. Now get this part. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed. He'd been let out of prison by earthquake. He'd seen miracles. God had delivered him. He remembered his past. He remembered he was a Pharisee. He remembered he was the chief of all sinners as he considered himself. He remembered holding the coats while people stoned Stephen to death. He remembered all those things, and yet he was able to forgive himself and come back around. And maybe God will let me out of this prison. Maybe there will be another earthquake. Maybe I don't know what. But if I don't even make it out of here, he'll bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Now, I know that sounds a little bit trite in a way. When we're suffering right now, and the air conditioning may be out, and it's 100 degrees, and we're, it's just miserable and right in our face, and we just got to deal with this right now, it just sounds shallow to say, well, yeah, but you get to go to heaven someday. Well, that's, when is that? That may be 50 years or something, or, or then we think maybe I won't get to go. But he'll take me safely to his heavenly kingdom, so to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So Paul remembered his past, the past that should be forgotten, and the past that he could savor and cherish like we do. He remembered his present circumstance. Only Luke is with me. He remembered his enemies and his friends, his future promise and the hope that he had. So he says, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. What an underscore for an attitude. So remember what Jeremiah said I remember my afflictions and my wandering, the wormwood and the bitterness, but I reprocess all this. I, I call something to mind. I remember. And see, when we're snowed in, when we're bombarded, when we're overwhelmed with life, we simply might forget to remember. To remember that the Lord's compassions fail not. They are new every morning. He'll never run out of blessings. He'll help us every time we come back. And when we feel far from God, who is it that moved? It wasn't Him. His compassions never fail. Therefore, He's my portion, and I have hope in Him. Concluding today with a thought from Paul writing to the church at Thessalonica. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, may He comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. To the the church at Philippi, Paul wrote, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches of his grace. We have every reason to look up and see the light at the end of the tunnel, the hole at the top of the dungeon, or to reach into our bosom and pull out the key that remembers that God loves us and he will save us and he will forgive any sin. God is more interested in what you become than what you have been. 
And so today, if you're ready to come to, to Jesus for cleansing, as Paul writes to the churches of Galatia, for as many have put on Christ, have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, or clothed themselves with Christ, and therefore they can face the wrath and the judgment of God against all sin and all unholiness, protected by the blood of Christ, shielded from the wrath of God, accepted by the love of God, and rewarded eternally in His heavenly kingdom. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? I invite you to come today for salvation or for restoration if you have a spiritual need. Would you come now as we stand together and as we sing?